way I should face. And, uh, yeah, it's, oh, they just, two more came in. Now they're, they're winning. They're winning out here now. So I'll, uh, face this, this way. Um, for sure, you know, I mean, count your, your blessings. One, you got all the coffee you want. Yeah. Feel free to fill it up. Um, what are those gruelers? Is that what they're called? The big things you put? Growlers. Yeah, growlers. If we had coffee growlers, you know, take them. Have that. Um, also, know this is a strategic time to fill out the prayer card because you're for sure going to get extra prayer time this week because there will just be a few. So uh, a few uh, blessings and opportunities for, for being here. I was... Um, uh, today, as we, we look into Exodus, I was uh, reminded that uh, um, uh, when I was in seminary um, and up in Chicago, and it was final exams, and it snowed all night long. And we were living in the first floor of a, of a house that had a, one of those, it was night, it was a garage, you know, in the back of the yard, and then it probably a 20-yard, 20 25-yard driveway. It, it was flat, and so the car wasn't covered, and it, there weren't any hills, but there were uh, there was a lot of snow. It was close to two feet of snow that had fallen, and so, but I had an exam, and I'm like, you know, in those days, there was no instant communication to know whether or not I was going to have an exam or not, and so got up, I did the um, trying to figure out just to pave the two pathways for the tires, you know, and figured the car could make it through. And as I'm going through there, about three quarters of the way of, of doing that, I'm exhausted and I've got an exam and the plow comes through. And of course, that makes an extra, you know, four feet at the end. So I figured I'll just get going, I'll get started, and we'll just break through that final four feet of snow. And that's, well, obviously, it worked. I got through, passed the class, and I'm here now. But that's, in a sense, what we look at today is how God helps, leads his people to break through, not snow, but evil. And oppression and sin. In that familiar story of Pharaoh uh, refusing to let God's people go. Refusing uh, to let them go find their home, their, their true home, everyone's true home in God. And what we'll look at particularly today is that there are forces that are evil, that are at work and are persistent in holding us back and holding our loved ones back, holding others back, and that it takes a gruesome effort, a deadly effort, in order to break loose of those things that oppress and hold us so that we can find our true home, true life in God. And that's um, uh, what we'll, we'll look at today. Let's, let's pray. Um, Almighty God, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for the capacity to gather here and praise you and um, worship you. Um, thank you for um, 
the sense of joy that we have in you and, and knowing um, and experiencing just that a piece of that sense that we are truly at home and free in you, that we truly find life in you. We give you thanks and praise. Um, speak to us as we look at your word. It reminds us of that. It shows us the reality of that truth in our, our lives so that when we leave here today, um, we are truly set free and we are a step closer to finding our home in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, we're in Exodus 7, um, 47 in your pew Bible. You can follow along on the screen. Um, we'll... Uh, um, start with verse 14. There's three different um, sections that we'll uh, um, look at um, here. And the uh, first one is uh, 714. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand by at the riverbank to meet him and take in your hand the staff that was turned into a snake. Say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you to say, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. See, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall be turned to blood. The fish in the river shall die. The river itself shall stink, and the Egyptians shall be unable to drink water from the Nile. So here we know... um, Know the, the basic story of Pharaoh, um, Moses being called by God. You're to lead the people out of slavery. And Moses is now the one to lead them to their true home. That place of true freedom and flourishing. And Pharaoh refuses to let go. We're told his heart is hard. And the, the false gods, the false homes in our own lives and in our world do not want to let go. There is an active force that keeps us from our true home in Yahweh. As we learned his name last week. The one true God. Now, we participate in that also. I mean, and we we hold ourselves back at times. But that's not the point of this passage. Now, at, at the end, we the the people of Israel do have to get up and move when it's time to go and 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 follow. But the real focus here is Pharaoh is the one who refuses to let Israel go and and serve God, and that we have those kind of forces in our lives. I mean, and, and they're persistent. I mean, God leads Moses. The next four chapters, five chapters, um, till about chapter 12 uh, are the ten plagues that God brings. We see the one here of turning the water to blood and then the, the others, frogs. He sends gnats, flies, um, the, the disease. He sends boils, thunder and hail and then the locusts and then the darkness and then the last one, which we'll look at at the end of the death of the firstborns. 
And Pharaoh, there were times, ah, okay, yeah, go. You know, it's sort of when things got so bad, he'd call Moses, tell God to stop, get rid of these gnats. You know, we we called them noceums in the deep south. Those little bugs that you can't see, they're just flying around, they're noceums. And so it was even that much more frustrating. You could hear them in your ear. That would be the worst plague for me, Um, the the noceums. But they're around... Um, uh, demonstrating Pharaoh's persistence and the persistence of evil, the persistence of those powers that hold us back, that, that oppress us, that are beyond our control. I mean, the Egyptians, this is, you know, 400 years since the Egyptians got there. And the, it was not, um, it, it, this isn't one where, well, made your bed, sleep in it. There's plenty of those too. There's plenty of those in the Bible, plenty of those in our lives. But this is one where there are forces that are beyond our control that hold us down. You know, like diseases or family of origin issues that where we've been abused or, or traumatized. Post-traumatic stress where, where some have served in wars they didn't sign up for. They were drafted in. Some are born into to poverty, oppressive poverty. Some are in situations where they are under the control of oppressive people. There are also powers in any human society that pressure us, that fool us, that form us into thinking that our true home can be found in anything but God. You know, the the, the messages that surround us and that um, overcome us, that success, appearance, or achievement, or pleasure, or pride or food, or comfort, or relationships, or sex, or you, you name it. And in, in our, uh, particularly for us, in, in capitalists, I mean, the others aren't as prominent for us. They're prominent for plenty of other Christians. There are plenty of other Christians that live in oppressive societies. Uh, whether it's China, or Iraq, or parts of uh, um, northern Africa. Um, but, but for us, particularly in a capitalist society, there's always, there are always forces that are selling us on the lie that something besides God is our true home. Whatever gets in the way of us serving God, worshiping God with our whole lives, that's what Pharaoh is like. Prevents us from living fully in the pleasure and power of God. What the events with Pharaoh and Israel show is that God can break us loose. He has broken us loose. From those evil forces that oppress, that lie, that claim to be our true home and aren't. Now, it takes work. It takes time here. I mean, ten plagues later, over and over again, okay, you can go, don't go. But in the end, God is more powerful than even death. 
can also, since today, I, I think there, I see a few uh, new elders and deacons, so we will be having installation and ordination of new elders and deacons um, in this service as well as the next. Also, a great thing to learn from Moses about real leadership, real leadership that follows after God, that it's not easy. And it, it, it is not for the faint of heart. And don't give up in doing it. I mean, this isn't in our passage, but in chapter 6, you know, Moses first goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, Ah, no, I'm not letting them go. Matter of fact, I'm now going to double their effort. They need to both collect the straw and make the bricks. Well, that made Moses' congregation very happy. And they were ready to throw Moses under the book, under the bus. And then they sat and waited as the plagues came and went. Then if we jump to chapter 12, we see here how God now frees us, frees his people, and it takes real sacrifice. If we turn to Exodus 12, 3 through 8, and then 12 and 13, and then 29, 32, and I'll just read these um, all together. It's 51, the pew Bible, if you want to turn there. Tell the whole congregation of Israel... Then on the tenth of this month, they, this is the Lord speaking to Moses and Aaron. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month, they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And up to 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals, on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And then um, on to 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. Pharaoh rose in the night. He and all his officials and all the Egyptians, there was a, and there was a loud cry in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron in the night and said, Rise up, go away from my people, both you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord, as you said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you said, and be gone. And bring a blessing on me, too. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God frees his people by real 
sacrifice. So he, he promises that they will be free, that he will bring them home. And he's been working with Pharaoh, let my people go, bringing plagues along the way. But Pharaoh still refuses. One interesting bit that you don't see in what we read, but you know, the, the Moses in writing Exodus, he, he, he says, Pharaoh hardens his heart, and then he'll say also that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. You know, so it goes back and forth. And uh, Mike and I had a good d- discussion about that, and he reminded me of uh, one of this congregation's friends, R.C. Sproul, who, who talked about the, the, the movement of how Pharaoh hardened his heart and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And that it was, you know, uh, sort of like in the beginning of Romans, if you read that, where we're told that God hands them over to the desires of their heart. That Pharaoh hardened his heart and God was saying, let my people go, let my people go. These plagues and Pharaoh would re- go back and forth and renege once again until at the end, hardening his heart. He's saying, I'm going to let you go now into the fullness of your hard heart. And that is God hardening Pharaoh's heart by releasing him fully from even his common grace. And and God promises what he's going to do is bring his people to their true home. And so this Passover then is the ultimate defeat of the oppressive forces on his people. To release them, to break them out. To, to, to destroy, to, to break the chains that are holding them back, whatever they might be. And it requires death. I mean, this is not a children's story. The Bible in places like this is not a children's book. I mean, this is vicious. This is gruesome. This, this illustrates the power of sin and evil. That it is death. It is death to our souls. It is death that's required to break us loose. This is, this is God's judgment. It is horrific. And there's just no way to whitewash it. There's, I don't care what pretty colors we might use in a cartoon. There's just no way to make this a children's story. And we know that. But we, we know that when we've been caught in our own sin, when we've recognized the oppression and the evil, and we've been horrified by what we've thought or what we've said or what we've seen. That this battle is vicious. It is life and death. And it doesn't, it really doesn't sit well with our modern sensibilities. Because it is bloody and sad and suffering and pain and death. But again, this is demonstrates it is real life evil at work in our world. It's not just a bad decision or two. It's that which wants to rob us of life and keep anyone and everyone from ever finding out their true home. To keep us from finding our true home together in God. So in the the Passover, this this frees Israel from Egypt is an overshadowing of the ultimate sacrificial death that destroys death. And so, so they were to, and in, in Egypt, you know, 
there was every household was going to experience death that day. It was either the firstborn in their home or in their livestock, or it was the the lamb without blemish. But every home was to experience death. And those in Israel that were following God were told to sacrifice the lamb, to take his blood, paint it on the door as a sign of their trust and belief in God. And as God comes through executing his judgment, they will break out and be broken loose on their way to freedom, on their way to their true home. And this is a foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice of the, fir- of the firstborn Son of God on the cross that destroys the power of sin and death and evil. It's on the cross and in the power of the resurrection that God defeats the devil. He overcomes the oppressive wickedness of the lies of this world and he overthrows the rebellious selfishness in me and in you. That doesn't just happen by putting some pixie dust or a little holy water and absolving people by fiat. That happens by the gruesome, violent death of God on the cross. That Jesus is the Lamb of God. And His blood now protects us from death and frees us to find our home in God. God, the firstborn Son, becomes the complete and total sacrifice to break us loose from whatever holds us from Him. He is the sacrifice and He is our home. I want to share with you just pieces of a story that I've, some events that uh, have from um, a member of a, a congregation uh, that uh, I have I have served. Um, I'm going to be really general uh, as I go through this. You'll know why. Um, but uh, it's a story from a, a woman who was in an abusive relationship. Um, and, uh, she was, and, uh, the family was an active part of the, the congregation. And she tells stories of them, I mean, coming to fight physically, wrestling physically, um, in anger and, and hatred and, and, uh, her husband's life, um, uh, alcohol abuse, physical abuse, um, and infidelity and, uh, she was was stuck in that. She didn't know how um, to to get out. And the the at times she would throw him out, and then then he would come back, and she would take him. And and she she shares. I mean, I loved my husband, and he told me that he loved me. As this went on for for years, and it got worse and and worse. One point, she did kick him out of the house for seven months, and then he came back, and they worked towards reconciliation. Um, they they had a, a couple wrestling matches, literal wrestling matches, in that point. And in that time, she 
she was told in some of her counseling, listen, abuse is a choice no matter what. And what she didn't want to do was get caught in that cycle downward. And then a day came when she was at her wit's end. And she was determined that he uh, had to leave. And she went upstairs and started packing his suitcase. And while she was doing that, she said, I was talking to God. Lord, I can't take this any longer. I want to hurt him. And I need you to help me. I'm getting out of control, Lord. She goes on, as I threw more and more items in his suitcase... He went from, what are you doing, to getting more agitated. You need to stop. Situation was quickly escalating towards a physical altercation. She says, I felt I was in the middle of an avalanche. I'd started now and I was being swept away with no hope to stop it. In my mind, I was crying out to God, Lord, I can't stop. I know I'm supposed to. I need your help. You told me abuse is always a choice. I've overwhelmed by my desire to lash out at him. You promised to give us a way out. I need one now, Lord, and the strength to take it, Jesus. Like the Egyptians crying out to God. And as I was packing the suitcase... My husband's phone rang. He looked at it kind of hesitantly and then answered it. I couldn't believe it. He was going to answer some girlfriend's call while his wife is packing his suitcase. But then he said, as he answered, Well, actually, Pastor, it's not going so well. My wife is putting my stuff in my suitcase as we speak. See, that past Sunday, my husband had actually gone to church and filled out a prayer card, you know, a connection card. And the pastor called Thursday night, that night, at that time. God was giving me a way out with a call from our pastor. I still continued to pack his things, encouraging myself. This is your way out. It's up to you now. Take it. Lord, give me the strength to leave the room. Fearing the chance to leave would pass, I finally took the opportunity to leave the room. As I went back downstairs, I was talking to God the entire way. Thank you, Jesus, for providing the way out and the strength to take it. God is good and faithful. He will provide a way out and the strength to take it. And that's a gruesome, ugly story also. And it's a fierce oppression that was upon her. And God, totally unbeknownst to the pastor making the phone call, was well aware and called at just the right time. God frees his people to find a true home. And in the end, in the end, even, even impacts Pharaoh. And did you, uh, as, as the exodus occurs, as the, a couple things from this. One is, as the, uh, As God comes, brings his judgment and releases his people, be gone. Take your time now. We're released from the false gods of this world 
And we now journey, just like Israel, toward our true home. And if there's someone here that is in some kind of oppressive situation, they see no way out. God provides a way out, has released us from those false gods and the power of evil in this world. And that's what the church is to be, just like Israel, a group of people following God together, being released from evil on a journey towards our true home. But you can't do it alone. It takes a whole nation, a whole people leaving together to follow. And even beyond that, it even impacts Pharaoh. Back in chapter 7, verse 17, one of the key verses uh, to me is when God uh, tells um, Moses uh, to tell Pharaoh, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. I mean, God's not just not doing this to punish Pharaoh. He's doing this to free his people, but to reveal himself even to Pharaoh. You'll know that I am the Lord by this. And, and even in our end of our passage, did you catch the end of it? Pharaoh even, you know, he sees it. He knows it. Bless, tell God to bless me too. Now, it didn't last. You know, Pharaoh, he, he's pretty fickle. He comes back. But I, you know, I can't prove this. But I gotta wonder, did, did that kind of work of God in Egypt, did that set the foundation for what we call the Coptic church today? That's the church in Egypt. The Christian church in Egypt. Which is, and, and there are actually, um, Prophecies in the, in the prophets of the Old Testament, even the end of Isaiah even says that Egypt and Assyria will come to the Lord. But I gotta wonder if that, that's not the foundation that that judgment of God being done there and the freedom of Israel and the power of God being seen, that doesn't enter the psyche of the Egyptians to where the, today they are, if they're not the longest, it's second longest tenure of a continuous Christian church in a nation. Because the, the church of Egypt, they, they hearken their beginnings back to Mark, the writer of the gospel of Mark. And, um, and we have uh, uh, pieces of manuscripts um, uh, uh, that are dated um, in the late 2nd century that are in Coptic. And we definitely have history of Christians being in Egypt in the 1st century. And not only have they been in existence since the first century, but they have, they were under, they've been under two persecutions, one of which about a hundred years under Rome, and the other about 800 to 900 years from about a thousand to 19, and actually still today under Muslim rule, where for 700 years you had to pay an extra tax to be a Christian in Egypt. I wonder what kind of impact that would have if the IRS said, all right, all Christians, you're going to have to pay an extra you know, 0.25% in order to be a Christian in our nation. What kind of impact that would have on our church today? But I wonder, again, like I said, I can't... Uh, Prove it, but I, I wonder if the very existence of the Coptic church in Egypt today is because 
is based on that foundation. It's impacted by the very story of God's freedom bringing them home. But even then through his judgment is to bring the Egyptians home as well. Now, um, again, another word for uh, us in, in, in leadership, uh, well, and in all Christians, in all of our lives, to stay faithful to Christ because he won't be defeated, uh, even over years and even with those who oppose him today, even in the lives of those who are currently oppose or oppress us today. That's the power of God to bring us all home in him. He's freed us from the false homes of our making, from the false homes of the devil himself, so that we can truly find our home in him. He has sent his firstborn son to die so that we might have life in him. Amen.